Well, we have a special guest this week, someone I'm very excited to talk to about this film uh, for reasons which will become obvious. It's my dad. Dad, welcome Hi. to the podcast. Thank you, Ben. It is uh, so exciting to be here. I, I, I just I can't even begin to express how, how, how excited I am to have been asked to be part of this. Well, we've always, or you have always wanted to participate in the my creative endeavors to some degree. You, I remember you talking long ago about wanting to do some sort of father-son review show. We wanted to do father-son performances when I was still in high school. So I feel like what a great opportunity to have you talking about a movie that is very near and dear to our relationship, our family, our religion. Even if we didn't necessarily love the film, it's a good opportunity to talk about some of the things that it addresses in terms of faith and tradition and, and community. Absolutely. And uh, the beauty of the film is that in only 90 minutes, you get a whole potpourri of things to talk about as it weaved from one uh, train of thought to another. Yeah. And I, I love those first 15 minutes articulating in relatively broad strokes the American immigrant experience of the Eastern European Jew to Brooklyn, which my grandmother, your mother, had that experience uh, growing up in Brooklyn uh, as first generation. She was first generation, right? Right. So she was born in 1918. And uh, like most uh, Jews of that time period, uh, they came over in the late 1800s, early 1900s from somewhere in Europe, from everywhere in Europe and made their life here. And so a lot of a lot of what they showed in that regard was certainly uh, certainly authentic. Yeah. Something I wanted to mention about that, though, is that uh, so you have the you have the benefit of having a, a, a grandmother who's 102 years old, born in 1918. And whereas I didn't know my grandmother, I knew my great grandmother and she lived to be 100. So the interesting thing about that is that I had direct contact with and conversation with somebody who was born four years after Lincoln was shot. So when you put that in perspective, right? So here you are talking to somebody who actually spoke to somebody who can date back to the 17th president of the United States. When we think about history being so far gone, when you can actually reach out and touch it to that degree, it's not as long ago as you think. And I think that's so important. As you mentioned, my grandmother, your mother, 102 years old this year. She is still alive. Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, we just had a Zoom birthday that was yep. so much fun. And she loves talking about things she experienced throughout her youth and throughout her life. I mean, she has really seen it all, contrary to Herschel in the film, who missed the entire 20th century for, you know, or, or at least most of it. She has seen so much. Another thing that you mentioned uh, before we got to uh, recording was where my grandfather's family came from, where your, where your father came from. My father uh, was, was born in West Virginia, 
uh, of all places. Uh, now, obviously, they weren't original West Virginia settlers, but when you think that most of the Jews that came over settled in the Northeast region, it was kind of interesting uh, to find that they settled in West Virginia. Uh, so uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, it, it, it feels like the Old West, even though, I mean, West Virginia is, is very much East Coast, but it's uh, in, in that regard, his father so my grandfather, whose name was Israel, uh, was a homesteader. And so he traveled around the country, wherever that would be, and was uh, was alleged to have hung around with Wild Bill Hickok. So uh, we're that's not just family lore. It's it's the real deal. His fishing buddy was Ripley, uh, if you believe that or not. Uh, but uh, supposedly there were letters uh, back and forth from them that somehow got lost along the way. But uh, there's a whole lot of color in uh, in our history. Yeah. I, I don't know how strong the Jewish community is in West Virginia now uh, or what it was then, but it, there, it had to be there because otherwise, why would he be there, right? Yeah. Why, why would his family have, have decided to be there if there wasn't a, a broader community, uh, a bigger Jewish community to be a part of? I can't even say, I, I would almost imagine West Virginia being more like a shtetl, uh, more, like a, more like a Slupsk than, uh, than like New York City. So I imagine there were Jews, but I can't imagine there being a ton of them. And I can imagine that uh, my grandfather might have settled there because he had already made some connection from which he planned to go homesteading. Gotcha. Now, I never met grandpa, my namesake, but I can only imagine what if he had been brined back in, uh, what is it? He was born in 1913, right? Right. So what if he had been brined in 1944? What a year to be brined, by the way, for Jews, especially. Um, I'm sure he would have preferred that. It would have saved a lot of time overseas. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because he served uh, in World War II. He did, yes. So if he had been brined in 1944, it would have made him 31. It comes back today um, when I'm 31. What if he met me? I, I guess he'd understand podcasting is, I guess, an offshoot of radio in some way. Um, I'd be so interested to know about his life in a way that Ben in the film is is completely disinterested. Now, I, to be honest, have not really asked you all that much about Grandpa or about your upbringing and only came to it this year before I had even seen this film. But sort of came to a time in my life where I, I realized that that was something important that I should know to be able to, to pass that down now. And much like Ben in the film, I am the last male Rosen, which does weigh on me, as you know, even as I try to laugh it off. But, you know, this year I made a conscious decision to ask you more and talk to you more about your upbringing. And obviously we don't have to get into any of that now, but I found that was something that was lacking in the film, this this dialogue between young and old and actually wanting to learn. I, did you have these conversations with your father? I can't say that I did, really. Uh, Mom is really the historian of the family. Uh, Dad was more of a worker and less of a talker, uh, like most entrepreneurs. And we'll relate back that back to uh, to the film. But, uh, you know, your grandmother is really the, the family historian. And, and as such, I would encourage you and anybody uh, who's listening who has elderly grandparents that it makes 
it makes such important sense to have those conversations now before the door closes, because unless that stuff is written down, it's going to disappear and, and there'll be huge question marks in the future when you want to say, well, what happened when and where and, and how did this come to be? And without consulting the source, uh, those memories will be gone. Yeah. And how different the world was a hundred years ago and how much has changed over the course of a hundred years since grandma was born. That's to, to see that through somebody's eyes uh, who was there when it all happened makes a world of difference. And all the interesting personal stories she's able to share. She told me about her time at at camp uh, when she had won that, uh, I think it was a swimming award. And this would have been in the 30s sure. when she uh, was 12, late, late 13, going to camp. I mean, wow. Wow. Uh, and thankfully, we do, through the magic of recording, we do have several hours, at least five hours of her talking to an interviewer about her life, about growing up, about everything that she'd seen. That was actually one of my goals of this year is to go through and listen to all that. But I do try to call her once a week. Uh, one thing we touched on a little earlier was uh, whether or not there was a, a Jewish community that your father, that your grandfather had been involved with in West Virginia. You called it a, sh a shtetl, but whatever it was, there must have been something grounding him in his faith there. And I think that's something that is missing in the film, but is so real, not just in history, but or or in, in what was shown in the film in, back in, in 1919, but his presence in every major city, really, a passionate and inclusive Jewish community. And you can certainly speak to that being in, in West Hartford. And Yeah, so it, it goes back to something that, that I've said to you more than once, uh, and I didn't make it up, but uh, it's certainly an expression that seems to ring true. And they say that when you're Jewish, uh, no matter where you go, you're never alone. And uh, so when, uh, when Herschel made the trip to New York, although it didn't depict it in modern day, back when he arrived there, I mean, there was a ton of Jews. Everybody was, was arriving. There was just as, as thriving, I shouldn't say thriving, existing Jewish community uh, back at the turn of the century that, that there was over in, in Europe before the transition was made. Uh, whereas I don't think there were that many in West Virginia. Keep in mind that my grandmother's dream was to go to what was then called Palestine, uh, where she wanted to live her days. So West Virginia was probably more of a stopping point when things didn't really take off. And things didn't take off because she rejected two particular business opportunities, one being the first ever Ford franchise in West Virginia, uh, because she said, why would they need cars? They got horses. So they gave up on the Ford franchise. Um, and also this, uh, this tract of land that uh, was being sold for like you know, pennies an acre that ultimately was bought up by the government for some important project for like $9 million or something like that. So uh, the legacy went out the door. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, that, it was... It, that's super but, interesting. The government wants to buy anything for you, man. Name your price. Um. <laughs> but, but that's why I see West Virginia was really more of a, a stop off because it wasn't a major metropolis for, for, for Jews. So she wanted to go back to the old country or go to the old country or the new old country. Um, and uh, even though it, uh, it was obviously not then a state by any means. And when that they were there for a couple of years and ultimately when they came back, they went to New York. So they went to Brooklyn. So, so 
obviously they went to where the major metropolis of uh, of Jews were at that time. Right. And then grandpa and grandma met. They settled in Long Island briefly and then moved to Springfield where there was a new burgeoning Jewish community, as I understand it, right? Correct. And I still want to put a pin in the fact that we didn't really go over the uh, the pickle brine of grandpa. If he was brined in the 40s and, and woke up now, how it would have been different. I, we can address that later if you like. Okay. Well, because you wouldn't have been born. <laughs> Well, that's right, because they weren't even married yet. I, I said we would have needed a little bit of theatrical license there because they okay. didn't get married until 48. But assuming they had gotten married in 44 and brined, and then you were still here and all of that, um, uh, I, I think, just, just a, uh, let's go there for just a minute. I think Herschel really, at least authentically, embodies the Jewish spirit of entrepreneurship. And most uh, a lot of Jews that came from uh, the old country, I mean, they brought with them trades, uh, no different than uh, nowadays when a lot of Russian immigrants come over with trades, they don't get to practice them here. You find doctors working at Home Depot or, or what have you, you know, so they're not, they're not getting to ply their trade. But when you get into conversation with them, you find, oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe this is what you did then. And now this is what you're doing here. So when the Jews came to the States, they plied the trade that they that they might have had in the old country, or they just put their shoulder to the wheel and and found a way to eke out a living while they learned the language, while they learned the the ways of uh, of America, and and that's why you I, you found so many successful entrepreneurs out of, out of uh, Jewish background. It's because, at least in my philosophy is something we don't know as Americans, as born Americans, by comparing it to the, the immigrant experiences that until you have experienced having nothing, until you have experienced leaving everything you have ever known and coming to a place and starting from dead scratch, then only then can you truly appreciate the road to success. Uh, and I, I've seen it over and over again with people who have come here with, uh, you know, later in the 70s or 80s, coming with $5,000 in their pocket and becoming extremely wealthy just because they had nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yeah, I think that's something that's missing in the film. Obviously, Herschel's entrepreneurship is present, but it's not as clearly articulated the difference between him and Ben that here's Ben living with all the creature comforts of contemporary America, but and and has experienced loss in the form of, of losing his parents, but is generally pretty comfortable. And so we never see him have to really struggle in the same way that Herschel must have. And that would have been something really interesting to to take the film in that direction, to really articulate the spirit of American innovation and what immigrants and and Jews specifically, obviously, in the early 20th century had to do to build a life. Yeah. And and look at the way that Herschel uh, recognizes success. He had seltzer in the refrigerator. I mean, to him, to to find seltzer in the refrigerator was like, oh, you must be royalty. Putting things in perspective is is so important because you're talking about a guy who was dirt dirt poor uh, and now comes and meets his great grandchild. And, uh, you know, he has food in the refrigerator. And he has a couch and an apartment and and all everything that goes with it. Uh, so to him, he he thought that he was the wealthiest man alive. Yeah, even though he still obviously had 
a lot of growing to do, a lot of growing up to do, which in some ways I still do too. One thing that I mentioned to Alan in our segment was people in their late 20s these days, late 20s, early 30s are still figuring out their life, still figuring out their careers. And Herschel being the same age back in the early 20th century, he had no choice but to just roll his sleeves up and figure it out and had nothing else, had no other family, just had his wife and his job and a dream. And when that's all you have in front of you, you have to, you have to go for it. Right. They may have had, in the old country, they may have had the privilege of living with their family, but that was just shelter. Other than that, everybody pitched in. Nobody waited around to figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up. They just went out and did something, whether they dug ditches with broken shovels or, uh, or what have you. And there were certainly fewer distractions. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that helped. Uh, what am I going to do with my entire day? Well, I have no choice. I guess I'll work. <laughs> <laughs> you had to pitch in. I mean, they were literally building a world. They were building a community. Now, I'm about to go off to uh, Portland for something of a new direction, perhaps a new home for myself. And now that a good deal of my life is relatively uh, sorted, I do now find that urge to find that local Jewish community, attend a synagogue, maybe find a group that I can become involved in. I'm not sure how strong or how religious or or prevalent the Jewish community is in Portland, but I'm interested in finding out. Obviously, it's incredibly present in Los Angeles uh, and has been for a long time. I just didn't necessarily find myself at home there, or maybe I didn't give it a good enough shot, or I had many other things in my early 20s that I had to consider and sort out and other growing to do that that wasn't the place that I thought I would do it. But I'm interested in, in looking into that now. Well, I can tell you from experience, there is a Jewish community in Portland, so uh, you'll be all right there. Uh, I actually performed there one time, so uh, I, can, I can speak to the fact that there is a, at least one synagogue. <laughs> performed? What do you mean? What, do you, what, what did you perform? When I was doing, uh, well, let's call it shtick, right? So when I had the privilege of traveling the country, uh, performing uh, Jewish-related stand-up material, uh, along with some, uh, basically being the front man for a group of singing cantors. So I had a great opportunity to visit synagogues uh, in all the corners of the country, Portland being one of them. It was, a, it was really an outrageous experience. And you got to spend a good deal of time there, as I understand it. Well, actually, I got to spend uh, two times in Portland for one show. Yes, actually, we uh, uh, somehow we managed to arrive in Portland one week early for the uh, concert. Um, you have to um, you have to appreciate the fact we had uh, we had performed in Edmonton uh, a a Sunday show, and we had a Tuesday night performance in Portland, according to the leader of our of our troupe. And uh, so we flew Monday from Edmonton to Portland. And, um, and, and really it's something, I don't know how many Israelis are going to listen to this, but you have to, you have to understand the, the Israeli mentality. Uh, the man I was traveling with was, uh, was a, a very, uh, a well-known and very talented Israeli, uh, cantor, uh, who was living here in the States. And we got off the airplane and we go to a phone and, and call the synagogue because we're wondering why, you know, there's no ride there to meet us at the airport. And, um, the, uh, wife of the cantor who was arranging everything answers the phone and he identifies himself and uh, she says, uh, where are you? And he says, well, we're here at the airport. And she says, why? 
He says, well, we're here for the show. And she says, the show is next week. And here's the, the beauty of Israelis. He said, no, 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 the show is tonight, which made no sense because he's talking to the organizer, right? So uh, somehow he had managed to mess up the dates big time. And uh, by the time he had hung up the phone, I was already three quarters away down the jetway trying to find a flight home because I couldn't have been any further from home in the continental United States than I was at that point and a week early. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. And what year was that? Uh, that was in the 90s. I'm going to say it was probably 96, 97, somewhere around there. Wow, that's right. That, yeah, you know, now that I think about it, that was, I would have been third grade? Third yeah, grade. I remember distinctly being around, yeah, third or fourth grade, and that that would that being the time when you were doing a lot of this traveling and um, and performing. As a matter of fact, you had a class assignment of uh, something about what you wanted to be when you grew up or something like that, and you drew a picture of me at the microphone, uh, and you said you wanted to be a comedian. <laughs> I sure did. I sure did. That did not. That was a short-lived dream, I think. <laughs> Although I, I did, uh, I did enjoy all the sketch comedy I got to do in, in college, and I know you appreciated that as well. Absolutely, and and going to the award show at Syracuse and uh, watching you guys uh, haul in the trophy was uh, was really you can't imagine how proud I was at that moment. Oh well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, and that works in conversation about this film, thinking about our family history and fathers, grandfathers, or, or grand, grandparents, seeing what their family became, seeing their children grow and succeed, and would they be proud of, of what they've become? I, uh, I'm, I'm certainly proud to be a Rosen, proud to be part of this family, and certainly can't imagine a, a better set of parents and a childhood that laid the groundwork for the person I am. And I, I, I credit you and, and mom for uh, instilling such, such values in me and, and Eliza and, and Dan and truly, truly blessed. I, and, you know, first of all, thank you. And, and we are blessed as well. But you hit upon something so critical. I don't even know if you heard yourself say it. Uh, that if you look at the movie uh, from what Herschel had to say to Ben and what I'm going to reflect on now from what you said is that although people tend to associate Jews with high-profile jobs and big incomes and, and everything that goes with it, I, I erase all of that and say if you expected your grandparents to be proud of you, it's because they would be proud of who you are not what you are. I've never taken issue or had a, a moment's hesitation to introduce any of my children to any person I would meet and say, this is my daughter, this is my son, because I knew that they would present themselves as the mensch or the menchette that they, that they had become. Doesn't matter how successful you become, it matters what kind of a person you are. And at the heart of this movie, I think that was Herschel's real contention with Ben is that he wasn't being a person, right? Uh, yes, he wasn't pulling the trigger. Yes, he wasn't getting off his butt and, and working, which, which uh, defies the work ethic. And how can you just sit there and do something or do something already? The, putting that part of it to the side, 
he also didn't see him as being a mensch. And when he learned what Bukbop really was uh, and realized that he was finding his own way to pay tribute to his parents, that's when that side of the story started to come out. And by the end of the story, Ben was a real person. And that's something that I wanted to do with having you as a guest. And thank you for joining us. This was a way of hopefully paying you some tribute Obviously, we'll find another time I can have mom as a guest, but strictly because this was a a, a male character's story, uh, I felt it prudent to have it be a one-on-one with uh, with my father, who, we haven't even mentioned it yet, I'm right. Ben, you're David. In the film, Seth Rogen is Ben, his father is David. Didn't even know that when I went to invite you and you watched the film before I did and texted me about it. And what what a coincidence. I know that was, really, that was really something. And uh, I mean, if you if you want to uh, take it a step further, uh, Herschel is pretty much what people would call my father, whose name was Harry. Uh, they would call him Harish and Herschel, even though that that was more of a of a Yiddishism of the name, not his actual Hebrew name. But. Uh, very common that somebody would refer to him as Herschel Herschel. So it really is the trifecta of irony that we can get together and talk about this film. Wow. Well, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor to call you my father. It's an honor to have you on this episode. And I hope that, as you said, I hope anybody who's listening will take the opportunity to speak to any elderly relatives, grandparents that are still around, parents that I hope are still around, um, and talk to them deeply about what they'd gone through, what values they wish to impart, any experiences, the light and the dark of what brought them to where they are now. I agree. And I can tell you this, that had grandpa been pickled and brined, that if he came out of it today and met you, he would be nothing but super proud of the man you've become. Well, thank you. Love you, Dad. Love you, Ben. Ben.